This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. We are racing, racing toward Christmas. And I, I, I'm just curious, um, how many of you, you've already got your Christmas shopping done? How many of you? We hate you. I'm kidding. We don't hate you. We're jealous of you, and next year you need to handle mine for me. Uh, for the rest of us, we have until December 24th, late in the day, uh, to get all that done. But I don't know what happens in your home, but a lot of us have different traditions that we begin to build as families. And Christmas, part of the tradition sometimes is where you go. Some of you do it at your house. Some of you do it at the grandparents' house. Some of you stay home. Some of you travel. That can be part of it. Some people do Christmas at lunch on Christmas Day. Some people do dinner, and some people just the kind of get the party started people do it Christmas Eve. You, you just can't wait. It's going to happen that night. We have all these traditions that we build in. One of the traditions I love, one that I love that's been a big deal in our family for a long time, is the C3 Candlelight Christmas Services. They're incredible. I hope you make that a part of your tradition. It's going to be incredible. We talked about it earlier. But I was thinking about this, and I... I was thinking, I wonder what traditions you have the day after Christmas. Like some of you, you cry, you're comatose. You ate so much the day before. Like that is your, your tradition is you sleep. The 26th of December does not exist on your calendar. You don't get out of bed. You just crash. Some of you way back in the day before there was anything like Amazon, a lot of you were like, I'm going to return and exchange gifts. And I can't think of a bigger hell on earth personally. But some of you, you love doing that. You fight the crowds. But the day after Christmas, see, something happens when we put away the tree and we pack up the nativity scene and we chase getting back to normal. So often we pack up everything that Christmas means because it becomes an event on a calendar to be celebrated. And we dive into everything so often except the actual depth of the meaning. For people that do what I do as a pastor, every December it's the same battle because I walk into this room and in December we're going to talk about Christmas. But here's the thing, the story never changes. Like I don't have a new ending for Christmas this year. You already know the story. And so sometimes it's very challenging, especially when we're so familiar with so much of this story. It's very challenging because it's common. But this year, I, I want to talk today and the next couple Sundays about the rest of the story. Some things that maybe you've never seen before in the Christmas story. Some things that I think add depth and value and meaning. Because on that very first Christmas, the night that Jesus was born, there had never been Christmas before. All there had been was chaos. And in our lives, isn't it true that so often Christmas can be the most chaotic time of the year? We love Christmas. We love the Christmas season. But there's something very unique about Christmas. It is the most loved holiday. It is also the most painful time of the year for a lot of people. And it's important for us as a church to remember that in this season, while we celebrate the birth of a Savior, and there is a lot of joy to be felt and expressed and shared. There are also a lot of hurting people. 
And everything about that first Christmas was getting back to normal. The world didn't know that a Savior had been born. The world didn't know that more than a Savior had been born. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 tells us, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now that's fascinating to me because Rome was the empire that ran the world and most of the world was a part of the Roman Empire and somehow over 2,000 years ago they did a census and counted everybody. Roman Empire, 2,000 years ago. Arizona would still be counting. But Roman Empire, 2,000 years ago, different message, different time, 2,000 years ago pulled this off and the reason they were counting was so they could decide how much tax you should pay. And everyone had to go to the town that they were born in or the town of their family. So if you never left home, you don't have a big trip in front of you. But it's hectic and chaotic. There's a lot of traffic and a lot of crowds, and nobody wanted to get on I-4 even then. It's just a busy, busy time of the year. But if you were born somewhere else or your family's from somewhere else, you had to travel. And it was extremely expensive. And in that day, travel was extremely dangerous. And everybody just sort of wanted to get it over with and get back to normal. Kind of like for some of you, you don't really have a tradition on the day after Christmas other than the tree's got to go. we got to get the house back to normal. Loved Christmas. That was a blast. But let's, let's get things back to normal. And as we walk through COVID and everything that's happened over the last couple of years, you hear all the time people talking about getting back to normal. What's interesting to me is we chase normal but we don't like normal. Normal marriages suck. Normal parenting is inconsistent. Normal education is subpar. There's such this pursuit of normal, but ultimately nobody says, I want a normal marriage. I want normal kids. Well, some of you say that. I want want a normal career. We know that normal isn't where it is, but in that first Christmas, there, there had never been Christmas. All there was was chaos. And in the midst of all of that, a child is born that would change everything. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. A king was almost snuck into the world. Mary and Joseph knew, but this was a huge secret. Nobody knew about it. I mean, if you were God, how would you send your son to earth? This is not how I picture the son of God coming to earth. I would picture a mighty warrior, maybe on a horse with a lot of lightning and a lot of noise, and it would be this grand entrance of Jesus coming to earth. But instead, God decides that what is louder and more profound is the hushed cry of a baby. And sending his son to earth in a way where he can relate to, connect with, and understand every single thing that you and I deal with. And nobody knew. They knew nothing. We know too much. We're so familiar with this that we have often reduced Jesus from who he really is. We reduce him into a friend. And he is a friend. But he's so much more than that. Oh, he's the one I can count on. He's going to hang with me no matter what. 
When everybody walks out, he's still there. He's there. If I need him, I have access to him. He's not going to run my life. He's not going to be in charge of anything, but he's my buddy. He's in my posse. He's, he's my friend. Other people redu- reduce Jesus to a backup plan. He's not going to be Lord of my life, but I've got him in my back pocket because I invited him into my heart and into my life, and I'm going to be in charge of my life, and I'm going to make my decisions, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And if everything goes wheels off at some point, Jesus is my backup plan. I've got somebody that I can pray to and talk to, and he's supposed to come through for me because he's God. We also often reduce Jesus to a guilt remover. The things I'm ashamed of in my life, the things I wish I could have a redo, the things that sort of haunt me and I try not to think about and try not to focus on. I, I want Jesus to be there to forgive me, and I, I want to I feel better. I don't want to feel bad about my choices. I don't want to feel bad about things I've said or done or how I've treated people. I I need Jesus to be my guilt remover. And then we often reduce Jesus to just a spare tire. If everything else in life goes flat, I got him. He's kind of my last resort. I got this unless things go flat. And then last resort, if I have to, I got Jesus. What actually is Jesus to you? Do you know about him? Are you familiar with the Christmas story? Like you've you've got a lot of the details down. You, You know the basics. Do you know about him? Or do you know him? Have you reduced who he is and who he wants to be in your life? Or are you maximizing the potential that God has gifted you with, that God has gifted me with, of us knowing Jesus, not just as Savior, but as King? Luke says in verse 30, but the angel said to her, speaking of Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of God of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne. You only give thrones to kings. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign, be in charge, rule over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Every king has a kingdom. This particular kingdom is very unique. Because it is a kingdom that is beyond earthly borders. It is a kingdom that involves the here and now and also the later. It is a kingdom that is all about eternity. And Mary was told his kingdom is never going to end. Jesus, 2,000 years later, is still king. The question is, is Jesus my king? There's no doubt he's still king, but is he, is he my king? Is he your king? He's a unique kind of king. He's a king who would die for his people rather than demanding they die for him. He's a king who allows you to make a choice because if if a king is born, you got to choose. If a king is born, you have to make a choice. He's my king or he's not. 
And there's so many people that view Jesus as Savior, and yes, that's powerful. Without Him, we're hopeless. Without Him, we have no hope. There's no sins forgiven. There's no knowing God in a personal way. There's no connection with God that's intimate. There's no life in heaven after this. Salvation, that, that's huge. But He's more than a Savior, much more than a rabbi, way better than a good prophet. He's a king. And you and I are invited See, we do not have a king who intrudes. We have a king who invites. He allows you, he allows me to make our own choices. And we're invited to be a part of his kingdom. A kingdom that's here on heaven, here on earth, reflected in heaven. A kingdom that is about changing the world and bringing hope to people. A kingdom that is about bringing life to people. A kingdom that has nothing to do with normal and everything to do with a life beyond what most of us live, the life God created you to live that involves the supernatural. And when you view Jesus as a Savior that answered a prayer and forgave sins, when you view Jesus as your insurance for eternity to make sure you're going to heaven, not hell, when you view Jesus as in a box in his place and he does this, these things for me, but I got everything else. When you view Jesus as Savior and not King and you refuse to participate in his kingdom by yielding your life to what the King says, when you opt out, you miss out. If you're a Christ follower, you call him your Savior. And you would be called a Christian in the modern day sense. But if you don't view him as king, as Lord, you would not be considered a Christian in the context and the culture of when Scripture was written. When you opt out, you miss out. When you refuse to obey the king, submit to his authority, Follow his teachings. When you opt out, you miss out. And so you spend your life praying to an invisible God. You're hoping that an invisible God forgave your sins. You're hoping that you'll spend eternity in an invisible heaven and somehow you'll navigate it and, 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 and maybe hopefully you'll make it. You, you have an assurance if you grew up in church that your prayer was answered and you've been taught to believe your sins have been forgiven and all of that happens. That's the truth of Scripture. But I know a lot of people that live their lives spiritually anemic, calling Jesus their Savior, but never living with Jesus their King. How did it happen? Matthew chapter 2 tells us the story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. King Herod was a powerful king. In fact, King Herod was a, an incredible architect. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. King Herod was a warrior that was second to none. He was a leader that understood leadership. In fact, he, he, his reign outlasted most kings in that day and age. He would reign for over 40 years. He was also ruthless. King Herod was not a man that waited to see what would happen. King Herod was a man that would make things happen. He asked a simple question. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? He did not ask where the rabbi was born. He was not curious about where the prophet came from. 
He wanted to know a very specific question. Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Because if I'm a king and another king is born, there's a threat. If there's a new king, it means regime change. If there's a new king and people are looking for him, it means that my power is about to decrease. Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You have a king. I am your king. But this is interesting. Verse 4. So interesting to me. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Why would Herod be the one who introduces the word Messiah into the conversation? He's asked about a king, and now he's calling him Messiah. That's because in the literal language, the word Messiah means anointed one or the anointed one. The word Messiah is a very unique word, a very specific word in Scripture. In fact, it literally means in the Greek, the literal translation for Messiah is Christ or the Christ. It means God's anointed one, God's final king. This is the one we've been waiting on. This is the one we've been looking for. This is the one that's going to be the king of kings from now on. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. You thought, you thought Christ was Jesus' last name. You thought his initials were J.C. Christ is not a name. Christ, Jesus Christ is not a phrase you say when you get really, really mad or shocked. Christ is not a name. Christ is not a descriptor. Christ is a title. It literally means the king. So Jesus Christ is Jesus the king. What if the person doesn't define the term? What if the term defines the person? He is actually a king, and on that first Christmas, a king was born. The question you have to wrestle with, the question that I have to wrestle with in this Christmas season, when we celebrate so much that is so familiar, we hear the holiday music, and on December 26, shut that off. We, we, we go to all the holiday parties, the Christmas parties. We smell, what is the scent of Christmas? It's cinnamon. Those cinnamon brooms, they sell them for $8 million, but they last 10 years. Cinnamon brooms, it will smell up your whole house, make you sneeze eight times. We, we, we know everything about the holiday. But the question that we have to wrestle with is, maybe you've chosen him as your savior, but is he your king? Is He actually Lord of your life? Have you accepted His invitation not just to believe, but to follow? Here's the thing that's interesting about King Herod. He believed. Herod believed. Hey, where, where's the one born, this Messiah? Do you, do you know where the king was born? Where, where? He believed, but he didn't follow. Are you believing in one that you say is your Savior and your Lord without actually following his teaching? Are you living like Herod? You believe, but you don't follow. Is he the king of your life in this Christmas season? Would he say, based on how you live, how you think, how you treat people that are unkind to you, how you forgive people that have hurt you, would he say, hey, you're in my kingdom? You're, you're living life at that level, following what I taught in Scripture. Would the king say you're a part of his kingdom? In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared because he wanted to know the moment the king had been born, how old is he now? And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He lied. Not everybody that believes worships. And not everybody that believes has pure motives when it comes to worship. King Herod believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But he also believed that he knew better than God and he wanted to do whatever it was that was necessary to hold on to his kingdom. Do you do that? Do you believe when it comes to your marriage, you know better than God and you know how you want to run your kingdom? Do you believe when it comes to your kids that you know better than God and it's your kingdom and you're going to make the decisions? Do you, when it comes to your finances, do you know better than God? Are you maintaining control and staying in charge of your kingdom? Because in this culture, in this day, it was impossible to say Jesus is my Savior without also saying He's my King and my Lord. He's in charge. So in this season, as we celebrate the birth of a king, the question that I'd love for you to wrestle with today, the question that I'd love for you to join me in thinking about this week, is he your king? When that thing happens at work and how you react, are you representing the king? When somebody you love hurts you, and how you respond, are you representing the king? In your opportunity to show people their value, are you representing the king? There was something about Jesus so unique in how he served people who could do nothing for him. Are you only nice to people that can do something for you? Do you only hang around people that can do something for you? Are you so busy building your kingdom that you'll miss God's? Because here's reality. You're about three generations away from being totally forgotten. Who was your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, three generations back? Who was your great-grandmother three generations back? Some of you know that. You, you know your family history. What about your tenth grandfather ten generations back? Your grandmother ten generations back? Your life, my life, your story and my story is far too insignificant to build a kingdom around and live for. You have been invited by a God who, who invites us to call Him Father, to be a part of His kingdom and a part of a bigger story. Is He your King? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning I thank you for the Christmas story. So many details that we so often overlook, but a very simple message of your deep abiding love for every single person and your desire to be our king. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know, you know, that the greatest need of your life is to know God in a personal way. You know that. 
you know about Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus. Maybe you've called him Savior, but he's, he's certainly not your king. You, you don't live each day factoring in, what does God want? How would he want me to do this? How does this impact his kingdom? If that's you, I want to invite you today to pray a very simple prayer. If you'd like to invite Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sin, give you a home in heaven, help you navigate this life, functioning as your king, your Lord, the one you can go to, the one that will guide you and lead you. I can't think of a better day than today to do that. If you'd like to invite Jesus to come into your life, just pray this simple prayer with me. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart, because the Bible says in Matthew 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. As we begin this Christmas season, if you want to settle the issue of eternity and the issue of your life, and the only issue that will matter 100 years from now, if you've never invited Christ to come into your life, pray this prayer with me. Just say, Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come come into my life. Forgive my sins and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.